Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of the Anglo-Italian Pod. I'm Tommaso, joined by my usual co-host, Rory. Here I am. And by friend of the show, I'd like to introduce yourself, Andy. Yep, my name's Andy from the, uh, uh, I said almost Anglo-Italian pod, but it's been a long day. I feel like a part of the team now. I haven't done a transfer, I promise. I'm not putting in a transfer request. No, I've had the hope this one through a pod. Um, yeah, and it's a pleasure to be on as a guest. As always, we are live on Twitch and YouTube because it's Monday night at 8 p.m. Central European time. But of course, you might as well be listening to us on a Tuesday, Wednesday or any other day of the week. Guys, next week we're waiting for you live on Monday night. You can find us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. You can find us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod. And you should also give a follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. You can find them both on Twitter and Instagram. And talking about social media, Rory, there is a big news that came through today while we were chilling together. Yeah, that was incredible. Yesterday, we were all sat watching the game together and a notification came up. Zenit St. Petersburg English followed you back. I was like, oh, shit. I like retweeted one of their tweets. They followed us back. And we had a little bit of an exchange. So I am happy to announce that Zenit St. Petersburg are now the official Russian Uh, team of the pod and as if their weekend wasn't good enough by following us they also managed to beat Spartak Moscow 7-1 this weekend so not the only team to get a 7 so yeah they've had a great weekend all round so welcome Zenit St. Petersburg hopefully soon there'll be a shirt hanging up kind of around here that'll be a Zenit shirt hopefully and they see from the stream chat that after almost six months, I want to say, a friend of the show is back. It's Chris Hamilton. And it's kind of fitting that you're back today, Chris, because <laughs> I think that we're going to cover um, your team's deeds right away. So we've got Chris, the supporter for Liverpool, and Andy live with us. And you support Manchester United, correct, Andy? Correct. So, <laughs> so before we start, I want to apologize in hindsight. I was drinking a little bit of beer and at the 2-0, I thought it would be a good idea to FaceTime our friend Bryce from Chicago. He's a Manchester United supporter, as you guys know. He was cool with us because he's a friend, but then I didn't call him again after the third fourth and fifth so i was here at home with rory we actually tried something pretty fun we had the rory's dog meet my cat that didn't go greatly but in the end what did you think of that whole exchange rory um it was a fascinating study into animal psychology whilst trying to watch three football games at the same time i don't know it was a bit um, i thought it would go better but you know it wasn't as bad as United's performance. It didn't go that badly. So exactly. So, Andy, can you tell us your story? Where were you yesterday? What thoughts went through your head as you saw that unfold? I mean, I was in the pub and I was literally saying, I was, I was with, with a friend who is a Liverpool fan. And I was just sort of, we were discussing before the game. I was like, I wasn't necessarily expecting to win because Liverpool have been really good former late and we, fair to say, haven't. And I was thinking, right, you know, in these kind of games, Ole last season would have just sat back and gone, right, we're going to grind out a nil-nil draw, maybe get one on the counter. And I think given the circumstances, it won't have been particularly pretty, but I think uh, you know, United fans would have taken that. But that all went to pot um, in the first five minutes, basically. Uh, and it's just some of the defending is just absolutely comical. I mean, the, the tone was set from the word go. You know, you had like Shaw and Maguire crashing into each other. Um, you know, you had the point where on, on the breakaway, you had four Liverpool players and one Manchester United defender in front of them. Mm. And you think, well, four and one's not going to go, is it? And it, it was just so easy to play through because, you know, Liverpool knew when to press. Uh, we were getting this because we, we have this insistence on playing out from the back, but with no real idea or set plan of right if we're going to play from the back what passing moves are we going to make Mm -hmm. to progress into midfield and then when it goes into midfield how are we going to get it into attack it just essentially just seems to be we seem to be operating on vibes (laughs) (laughs) because you know nobody can um really tell what is Manchester United's style and I think journalists have been asking you know, Ole in press conferences and they've not really been given the best of responses. Um, 
yeah, and it's just I think the game overall just showed how outcoached Manchester United mm-hmm. are because there's only so far you can get just by having better players. But you know, we were saying just before we went on air that you know, especially this season, um, you know, Brentford look a better coach outfit than we do, and they've just come up in the championship. It's just um, I think Ollie's done a lot of good work in you know making United finishing because finishing the Champions League places consistently because that's also what the Glazers want. They're not yeah. asked about winning trophies. What they are asked about is finishing top four year in, year out. So to that degree, it's, uh, it's, he's, he's done his job. Um, mm-hmm. it's a very, you know, people forget how toxic the environment was when Mourinho was still there. Um, and we all know what happens when Mourinho mm. gets pissed off. He just burns it to the ground. Uh, so, he's, he, in some respects, he's done a good job off the pitch. But, you know, that performance has been coming, that result, rather, has been coming for a good couple of months. All that's happened is that the, the results have caught up with the performances. Mm. If you look at the games that United have played this season, we were taken apart by Wolves for most of the first half. We played against them and we we're looking to get a result. We're some very good goalkeeping away from um, being beaten by Southampton and Everton. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's happened is that the quality of opposition has slowly stepped up. You know, even against Atalanta, and Paul Scholes called it. uh, Yeah, I was going to say. If we play, he literally said, if we played that way against Liverpool, we'd be 4-0 down by half-time, funnily enough, we were. And Mm. when you look at that Atalanta game, we were, they were without... Apart from uh, Demoral, who was excellent on the night, yeah. um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not overly confident we would have got the result had he stayed on mm. the pitch. There were about the first choice wing backs, um, other first choice centre backs, like they were quite depleted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think had they had their full squad up, we might have struggled, and we're just so easy to play through because you know. Well, it, it's, <laughs> go on. No, the thing I wanted to, there was two things I wanted to point out. You're right. The formation, well, I think the formation that you played, this 4 2 4, seemed to me incredibly naive at best. And also, what, what struck me was how United players, you'd get two United players marking the same Liverpool player or three players pressing the same player and leaving three other players open. I think you're right. Just the lack of coaching there. But do you think that Ollie is now starting to reverse? the good work he has done like if he continues will all this progress be lost because all of a sudden you're relying on De Gea again the change room atmosphere is not great like there's big name players that aren't fitting into a system like does it feel like he's starting to reverse that again or yeah and I think sort of and obviously it always happens when um Teams doing bad. You know what? I think what's more damning is that stuff is coming out of the dressing room now. Mm. There's dressing room sources going to the media. Obviously, we don't know who those dressing room sources are, but for the benefit of the tape, we'll call them Donny. Um, <laughs> can can we give him a last name as well? Can we say he's Dutch? Can we picture that he comes from the Netherlands? Yeah, he's you know, let's just say for the benefit, he's like a, a very unhappy Dutch fella. Um, <laughs> yes, out of but, out of it is fiction, guys. It's, not, it's uh, completely it's fiction. fiction. Like I genuinely don't know who the, these sources are, but you can speculate <laughs> who they might be. And we'll, we'll, I think the other one might be some French fella. We'll call him. <laughs> Peter or something. Let's call him uh, Paul, Paul Van der Beek. Let's say yeah. his name is Paul Van der Beek. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Like, like I said, who knows at this stage? But I think what some of these players, I think you got some of these players who aren't being given the chance. They're looking at these, some of these, and I think whether it's true or not, we don't know. But there seems, well, some reports coming out today, there seems to be the British players, if you like, mm-hmm. are quite behind Ole. And I think everybody in the squad agrees that Ole's a lovely fella. Um, and a lot of people say that he is a really nice guy and what he's done for the club as a player, it's been absolutely exceptional mm. and he's done an okay job as manager, but I think he's definitely hit the ceiling and I think the players have seen that as well. You know, I feel if, on, if Van der Beek was on the bench because he had two, three, four midfielders playing better than he is, then you go, well, 
fair enough, there's people in better form at the moment. But you could argue that, you know, Tellers deserves a look in after Luke Shaw's performances over the past few mm-hmm. weeks, especially when you look at the banger he scored in the Champions League in Villarreal. Yeah, yeah, hasn't yeah. Been, and he hasn't played a minute since. You've got Van der Beek, who can't get a game over Fred and McTominay. Um, and, you know, they're being brought in to provide defensive stability, but they're not even doing that anymore. No. So if they're not providing defensive stability in front of a back four, then what are they doing there? You know, Matic is too slow to hack the Premier League. I should have really been moved on by now, but that's a separate issue altogether. Yeah, yeah. So you've got these players not starting and going, well, what's going on? I was saying with Sancho as well, like... Um, he he's... must be thinking, as our friend uh, Chris suggests, he must he must be thinking, what the actual fuck? Yeah, and I'm, lo- I'm looking I'm looking at what he does. I'm looking at what he did for Dortmund. I don't even think he's necessarily playing that badly. It's just he's one of those give and go players. Um, you know, you see him give the ball to somebody, he makes a run, but that pass doesn't come back. And mm-hmm. you're thinking, surely you'd be doing that on a training pitch. Um, and if you know if you aren't going to play to someone's strength, why are you spending seventy million pounds on on them? Um, mm. So I think there's that side of it that's wrong at the look, moment. But look, Andy, I'm going to jump in really quick. I just wanted to say, and you'll tell me if you agree with me or not. Um, then we also have to praise Liverpool because I think they're getting yeah, we do have to talk insane. about Liverpool. As well. But <laughs> I think at a point, and I wanted to tell Rory if it wasn't for all the beer that we <laughs> we've had yesterday. <laughs> but at a point, I was about to say this is right before the three nil comes in. I was about to say, well, we all know that Liverpool are good with the ball, but it's actually much easier for them because Manchester United movements are dictating the passes that Liverpool need to make. And you saw it so many times where there was that blatant example on the Nabi Keita's goal where Salah just had to wait, just wait to... He could have gone on his own, but then there are the defenders not having a clue of what they're doing and opening up a pass, uh, like a passing line for Salah to Nabi Keita. And that happened over and over again. This absolutely uh, cluelessness, I would say, about what's going on and the movements make. Then the other thing that I want to say is that Paul Scholes said it exactly. He said, if everybody was so happy after the game with Atalanta and cheering so much, then just play the identical same way against Liverpool and we will see what happens. And the skulls in the studio yesterday, we watched the, all of the interviews. He looked, if he could have spoken his mind, like if he could have said what he was actually thinking, I think he would have been cancelled from television for the rest <laughs> of his life. Because he said 1% of what he was really feeling. And about Liverpool, I just have to say that I fucking love it, man. Like from being, an, I'm an outsider I like things about Arsenal. I like things about United. But one thing that I have to say about Liverpool, especially after doing that episode about um, about the great manager, Bill Shankly, he, they just felt like a hard-working team. And as Steve highlighted, it was team versus individuals. I love the Salah's post on Instagram. He said, it's very easy to get a win like that when you play as a team. And it's, man, it was beautiful to watch. And they think that after a silent summer, as we've said, after a very quiet summer, they've put on the hard work that Klopp's teams know that they need to put on to achieve these results. And they're just delivering. And it's beautiful to watch. There is no opposition that that their knees tremble in front of. Mm. They're just like up there with Bayern Munich this season. And they think they're there to take it all, both domestically and continentally. But we shall see. What do you think? Well, this Rory? is it, and I think I think the players that have really stood out for them are like, for example, Naby Keita. Now he had a really slow start to his Liverpool career, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans were thinking, "Oh, if we got a bit of a like a busted flush here, mate. It's not working. It's not working." He had like injuries in and out of the team, and then now he's come in, and the way he was like winning the ball, the runs from midfield, his passing, he really has like become this huge player for them and obviously the player that Klopp wanted him to be the whole time and I think we've talked about it before but the way the players have stepped up for Klopp the likes of like Curtis Jones and Nat Phillips and these kind of fringe players all of a sudden their squad looks incredibly strong again and Salah is playing the best football of his career like we've never seen him this good agreed 100% like 10 10 goals in 10 games and dribbling around 15 players a match like the guy is unbelievable i think it's um 
we were all a bit too quick to write them off, I think, possibly. But I have a question. <laughs> I have a question for Andrew. Andrew, do you think that Manchester United's solution starts with an A and finishes in Onte, in your opinion? Uh, an A in the what? It starts, <laughs> I read it today. It starts with an A. It's a name that starts with an A and finishes in Onte, O-N-T-E. Oh, Conte. You know what? I've been, I've, 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 it took me a minute then. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it was sad to all I agree. But no, it's, um, yeah, I think it's looking like at the moment, I think Ole is going to get the job. Um, so I think, and it's United have shown in previous seasons, like uh, Jose Mourinho was sacked a couple of days after a bad defeat to Liverpool. David Moyes was sacked a couple of days after a bad defeat to Liverpool. Um, and the only reason Louis van Gaal wasn't sacked because he thankfully always got results against Liverpool. But yeah, I think it is worth saying that I think as much as I can complain about Manchester United, I think Liverpool were fantastic on the day. Mm. Uh, you've got to give them credit. I mean, you had like Jordan Henderson putting in fucking Zavi-like through balls. Like that's that pass was insane. <laughs> I mean, and they, they said it on match of the day. Had De Bruyne made that kind of pass, we'd all been, you know, mm. salivating over it. And I think, yeah, sometimes you just got to go, well, yeah, they're obviously the better team and we helped them. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the managerial side of things, I mean, assuming that the rumours are true that Ole's on his way out, then I think Conte, I think, would be a good solution. I think a lot of people, and I, you know what, I've gone around the whole roller coaster of it. Admittedly, a, a few weeks ago, I was just like, nah, he doesn't fit our system. He'll clash with the board. But I think, you know what? Fine. If he clashes with the board, he'll just show him up for the incompetent dickheads that they are. Because they're, the, <laughs> they're, the they're the real issue at the club. Um, you know, that's part of it. And also the other side of it as well, is you look at what he did for, obviously you two will know more than I would, but you look at what he did for the Inter team, they're exciting to watch. He scored the most goals. Um, you know, you had it, he turned Lukaku into one of the best number nines in the world. Like he could improve players, and I think more importantly, he's a he's a training ground coach. Mm -hmm. He will be on the training pitch eight or nine hours a day, drilling those players into playing a set system. Um, and I think he's you know, but everyone typifies his time at Chelsea as that you know he's not going to turn Jadon Sancho into a wing back. He will adapt to the players that are there. Mm -hmm. But what I think you'll probably agree with, is that he will have a system in place uh, that is... And the first thing defined. he's going to do, I, I'm ready to bet money on this one, if the first thing he's going to do when he gets, if he gets to United, is to play Van de Beek as a starter. Because knowing Van de Beek and knowing Antonio Conte, they're a match made in heaven. If Van de Beek still is the player that I remember at Ajax, because I haven't seen that much of him <laughs> over the past year or so. But we shall see. Do you? What are the other, very quickly before we move on to the other Premier League games, but what are the big names in, in United's list to replace uh, all of think... if there are any? I think um, the other names that are on the list are probably the ones that aren't attainable at the moment. So Pochettino has always been linked with um, Manchester United, uh, but he's at PSG at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really see him leaving until at least the end of the season. I think in terms of culture, I think Ajax are running a very one on very similar principles to how Manchester United are in terms of, you know, Manchester United have had a youth team player on the bench or in the starting 11 since, nine, since the 50s, every single mm. match day squad. Promoting youth is as big as part of their policy is buying in new players. And I think if you were to bring in someone like Ten Hag, though he would play a style of football that would be appealing to the Manchester United fans. He And if you bought in Overmars and, you know, go full hog, bringing over Mars, bringing Van der Sar, who's already got connections to the club. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, you know, that'll be a root and branch. You have football people in football positions. And I think that would be a good uh, way of going about it. Uh, so they're the, they're the sort of main names. I think people have talked about Sedan, but for what I understand, Sedan has no interest in English football whatsoever. He never had any English in English he never had any interest in English football as a player. And yeah, I don't think he does as a as a manager. And also as well, I think his skill set at Madrid was handling the big personalities um true. and getting the most out of them because 
when you have a midfielder of Proust, Modric and Casemiro, you don't really need to do much coaching on the pitch. You just need to keep them happy, basically. And I think Manchester United needs um, some, you know, just from proper training ground coaches. That's where I think the likes of Pochettino, Ten Hag, and, you know, Conte. I think Conte stands out because he's available now. Looking at some of, obviously, Chris's comments, I mean, yeah, Donny van der Beek, I think, is a better footballer than Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, I Chris, think... by the way, guys, that you're <laughs> listening on the pod and on any other day of the week, our friend Chris, Liverpool supporter, is going crazy on yeah, the Yeah, like he eight comments in a row now. He's catching up with everything he hasn't said over the last month. But, guys, we need to move on from United. And you were talking about great managers, just like the one that trains Arsenal, who were able to win 3-1 at home against Aston Villa. What an incredible result for the Gunners, who are now on the A side of the standings. Rory, let's not sleep on this one. Come on. We are unbeaten in eight games with Ramsdale in goal. Massive signing. Um, And that is a game that last year we lose. That is a game that we lose last year. And this year, that is our best performance across 90 minutes. I think that 45 minutes against Tottenham, that was the best we've played. But for 90 minutes, we actually played like a cohesive, sensible team. And it was beautiful to watch. That being said, Aston Villa were absolutely terrible. And that did help. Did you watch that game, um, Andy? I saw some of the highlights of it. And yeah, I think Arsenal were dominant from start to finish. I think they are slowly kicking into gear. And I think, you know what? I'll hold my hands up and go, I was probably a bit wrong about Ramsdale because on the hopeless pod, me and Craig were like, seriously, you're spending 25 billion quid on somebody who's not even better than Leno. Um, And I think, yeah, maybe we did him a bit of a disservice because... Some of his distribution as well. I think oh. that's a. I think that's a. There was one clip where it was almost, you know, that's the sort of you expect from Edison. It's just mm-hmm. a, zip, a zipper of a pass straight to the wings, pinpoint. Uh, most outfield players would be proud of that, and I think he has. He does give them a bit of a different dimension. Like he's very confident. It's very vocal, and maybe he's just been unfortunate because he's been playing in absolute dross. With yeah, yeah. and Sheffield <laughs> United. Uh, maybe he's just maybe been made to look worse than he actually is. Mm. But you know, you could argue on form at the moment that he is he should be England's number one. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm convinced that Pickford has got Southgate's nudes knocking. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how he's still getting picked at all. I was thinking but, it this weekend. I was like, how is he not England's number one yet? And although realizing I'm massively biased, but no, I think um, I've seen him referred to as the Brexit Edison by Arsenal fans. So they are starting <laughs> they, like his distribution is fantastic. He has been. Like, I, when we signed him, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to slag him off. I was like, let's see how it goes, because he has played for two shite teams, and he's been unbelievable since he's come in. And I think now we're starting to see, like, Smith Rowe is really growing into the team. That guy, like, when he gets, if he's what got space goal. in front of him. What a goal. Yeah, if, if he's got space in front of him, you're not catching him. He's gone. Like, him and Saka together are great. I think the, the thing I keep saying is I can see the green shoots. Like, there's going to be shit performances and shit results throughout this season. But I can see that there's something there. There is something there. Um, our, friend like Steve, our friend Steve is hinting that the match against the Foxes mm. on October 30th is going to be the real test to see where Arsenal are. Do you agree, Rory? Yeah, I think so. The The two games we had against the big sides previously, Chelsea and City, we have since seen that they were not our first 11s and that's not the team that Arteta wanted. So I think as bad as both of those games were, and they were terrible, they're not really the Arsenal team. So yeah, I think with this being Arteta's 11 now, this is the chance. And I like the fact that he, he switched to a 4-4-2 and it meant that we could play Aubameyang and Lacazette both up front and their partnership together is incredible and just seeing them playing together again I really hope we can continue that Lacazette, his energy is unbelievable when he comes on he's just 100% for the entire time he scores, fucking love it and I think that Arsenal fans including yourself Rory, I think that they need just like last year I remember like shite performances and incredible performances mostly Mm -hmm. shite but also like the sparks of incredible performances and I think that for the sake of their well-being and mindset 
Arsenal fans just need a streak of positive results. Nothing exceptional because yeah, then yeah. you start dreaming a little too much. So you just think that they need to see that their team is consistent, that you can beat the likes of the Norwiches, the Aston Villas, the West Ham's and everything. And just then just like build your confidence on that one because otherwise like big win and the shite performances is just going to like get your hopes up and then shatter them all of a sudden. But maybe, as you said, undefeated in eight games, maybe something is moving there. Rory, also good job for predicting the future. On Friday's pod, you said if you enjoy watching goals from only one team, then you should watch Chelsea Norwich. <laughs> How did I do it? It's a mystery. <laughs> Seven nil and Mason Mount is the first player to score a Chelsea hat-trick ever since Eden Azar at the Stamford Bridge. Um, Andy, Mason Mount, what do we think about this youngster? I think he's one of those players that he, he doesn't normally get the credit he deserves because he is very much a, he's not a flashy player. You're not going to see him doing stepovers and Hollywood passes and stuff like that. But it's a bit like Jordan Henderson in the way that he will do exactly what a manager asked him to do to the T. That's why Gareth Southgate trusts him and that's why... Uh, you know, Tuchel trusts him. He'll do what he's, he'll do what needs to be done. If he needs to press, he'll do it. Um, and he, he's got a good shot on him as well. Like when, when you look at his little pockets of space outside the area, he can hit him. Mm. Um, I think he should probably do it a little bit more for England, but he he does contribute all over the place. And you know, all right, there's players like Greenish who might have more flair, but like I said, he. He's, he's probably a manager's player, if that makes sense. You've yeah, seen it yeah. in the likes of like Fernandinho over the years. If, if I go back to really old United days, the likes of sort of John O'Shea and uh, Darren Fletcher, like you just need certain players in your squad that can carry out a very specific set mm-hmm. of instructions. And you don't really notice them unless they're absent from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Mason Mount isn't playing for Chelsea, you can sort of tell. Uh, but I mean, we have to. It has to be said though. Like, what's the fucking point of Norwich? Oh, I'm so <laughs> done with them. I'm so done with them. I think, like, at this point, I would say they need to win the championship two years in a row to get promoted. Just don't promote <laughs> them next time. Like, yeah. you have to prove that your squad is going to be anywhere near the ability of putting up a fight. Like, how? So- I'm going How to ask Brentford you guys. Come, so, this sorry. was this. Sorry, no, I cut you off. But I, it seems fitting because in Italy, a lot of people were talking about this this weekend. Eighteen teams versus twelve teams. Would it be in favor in the Premier League? Yeah, because I think there's like there's so many teams and there's quite a few teams in the Premier League which have no ambitions of furthering themselves. Mm. Are just happy to be in the Premier League. You know, teams like West Brom and Norwich are just happy to go up and down, up and down. Knowing they'll get their eighty million pound TV money um, and increase great receipts. They'll find they'll have a couple of players that sell on for thirty odd million quid when they get relegated, and they just rinse and repeat. It just doesn't seem to be the ambition to do more. And finances isn't that much of an excuse because you see what Brentford do in terms of um, making the most out of their resources of being ambitious. It is possible to be on the budget. Um, And Leeds as well. Leeds don't spend a lot of money. They do not spend a lot of money. No. uh, I say Burnley as well. Like, I've been thinking they're going to go down every single year. Um, (laughs) No, but the, 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 the discussion was lifted in Italy on a lot of pages that I followed this weekend. They were just like, we need an 18 team revolution because it's just like, it doesn't make sense. What are you going to do in Serie A if you cannot guarantee at least one upset throughout the season? I'm thinking, yeah. of course, about Salernitana in Italy, but it's just like, it's also sad to see. So, so once you see that you lose eight games in a row, what are your ambitions for the rest of yeah, the year? Yeah. Like, even the players who play for that team, they are not going to grow. They are going to learn the philosophical aspects of defeat every single yeah, fucking yeah, weekend. Yeah, but yeah. it's also detrimental for them. It would be much better for them to play in Serie B in, co- in a competitive league that allows them to stay on top of their shape and all that. But Rory, moving on from Chelsea, Norwich, what are the other standout games for the weekend? I know that uh, um, Mr. Ranieri uh, had yeah, his first very... emphatic win in the Premier League. 
Very, very quickly, yeah. Everton, and uh, talking about teams that we don't know why they're here, Everton, I do not know what they are doing or what kind of purgatory they are stuck in, but this Rafa Benitez project, nobody really seems to be enjoying it. Um, and Joshua King getting a hat-trick against Everton, the club that barely played him, and Ancelotti completely refused him. Um, I think it's great to see Ranieri get a win. Um, the great stat from this is that Watford's last five Premier League games have all come under five different managers, which is incredible. <laughs> um, but Everton continue to disappoint. And if you look at the table, they're on level points with United, Arsenal. They've got 14 points, I think. But somehow it still feels like they're having a terrible season. Man, to me, Rafa Benitez's career ended in Istanbul, I think. He made a pact with the devil and... Uh... They won that Champions League. And then you you made a pact with the devil, dude. It's Don't look at me like that, Rafa. Like, you made the pact with the devil, and now you have to pay the consequences. Um, he, I mean, the, the last decent spell that I remember was at Napoli, but that went... Well, went, they hated him as well, right? The fans Oh, man, right. Him. After yeah. a bit, like, he started, like, I don't know. I don't like Benitez. I, I think he's... He's washed up now. Like he's not a manager anymore. Uh, I might be too harsh, but when he was appointed at Everton, already a controversial move. I was like, "This is not going to be any better than Ancelotti's mm. Everton." Come on. I th- I think the only reason he took the Everton job is because the Newcastle one wasn't available. Because um, if you throw back to when that Newcastle takeover thing ha- was in the process of happening last year. He was lined up to take that job. Newcastle mm. fans loved him. He loved Newcastle. Um, thing with Benitez, he does connect with a passionate yeah. fan base. You know, the Liverpool fans still have a lot of love for him for what he did, and his family are, are still based in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So I know he's got that investment, especially like in Northern clubs. But yeah, the Everton was strange. But yeah, I I heard it on one of the another podcast today I was listening to, and. Um, I don't think I don't think anybody would particularly mind if um, Newcastle paid a good compensation fee for Benitez. He goes back to the club he probably wanted to go back to in the first place. Everton just pretend the last few months didn't happen, and they get somebody else in. And I genuinely yeah. think in that scenario, yeah. I know it's un, I know everybody's unusual. happy. Yeah, it'd be very very unusual. Uh, but I think everybody it's one of those scenarios where everybody would be happy. Yeah, a few yeah, million, yeah. all right, a few million quid's got to change hands, but let's be honest, Newcastle are hardly short of it now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so you know, take 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 the money. Um, you know, because I think the more- you know, I think I think Benitez is just gonna wait until uh, December first to play Liverpool, maybe get a win against Liverpool to like make it all the all spicy and shit. And then he's going to go <laughs> yeah. elsewhere. We shall see. But Rory, what were the other standout games in the in the Premier League this weekend before we move to Serie A? Yeah, very quickly, we'll go through. Well, the standout moment for me was the um, Holmesdale end fans at Crystal Palace holding up the banner against said Newcastle um, with a picture of their owner uh, about to behead a magpie and a checklist of the Premier League owners things. I thought that was an absolutely <laughs> incredible, Love incredible it. thing from the Palace fans to do. And weirdly, some Newcastle fan reported it to the police as a racist banner. So the police are now investigating it. <laughs> um, it's so not a racist it's, banner. It's no, just like... It's it's just like what the world is right now. I mean, yeah, it's literally just facts on that banner. But that's the thing, though. New, Newcastle facts. Newcastle fans have turned into exactly the same as Manchester City fans are. Mm-hmm. They'll def- and it's literally sports washing. In effect, yeah. they will they are defending their club left, right, and centre. And if you ask a Newcastle, I've done it myself on Twitter. If you ask a Newcastle fan, you know. By the way, human rights. Immediately, they'll turn around. They'll turn around to you and go, "What about this? What about this? Yeah. What about this?" It's just constant whataboutism, and yeah. you just—it's just this pointless even engaging with them because they're just going to get coming out. And you know what? Some of the actions of the Premier League are hypocritical. You can mm-hmm. say that the Newcastle the takeover of Newcastle shouldn't have happened, but you can also say that the Premier League are hypocrites in what they do, such as blocking. 100%. Sponsorship deals, mm-hmm. um, which the Premier League have done for temp- you know the temporary basis just to stop the income of finance. Well, they could have done that with Man City twelve years ago, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you had Mike Ashley 
basically not even paying for sponsorship of the stadium. So if anything, they were undervalued. So you yeah, can understand yeah. why Newcastle fans are pissed in some ways because the Premier League clubs are afraid of somebody else mm-hmm. being at the top table. There's no denying that. But at the same time, they can't sit there and expect everybody not to pay attention to mm-hmm. the looming goings on that happens in Saudi Arabia. That you know, When you take over a club in the most watched league in the world, there's going to be more scrutiny. And yeah. frankly speaking, people aren't going to stop talking about it. They're just going to have to get fucking used to it. Yeah. Well, this is it. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I hope it continues. I hope at every stadium this year they go to, there is a flag, there is a banner from the fans that says something because we need to keep talking about it. And it's good to hear that the charges have been dropped on that banner. Thank God for that. And yeah, I yeah. did end up in an argument with um, a guy called Steve Smith, 56794321, with no picture <laughs> on, um, on, on Twitter, who was, who was saying all those things you said. Oh, but you're using Twitter. That's Saudi-backed. You're a hypocrite. Oh, you're breathing oxygen. You're a hypocrite. I was like, there are, they have turned quite quickly into it. Um, yeah, that's enough for the Premier know, League. What, I think, Tommy, we need to talk about Serie A at some point. Oh, also it, Spurs lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, there we go. <laughs> no, come on. And also, and also, I think, guys, I think this is the end. It costs me a lot to say, but I think this is the end of Brighton and the whole Valbians title hopes. Um, <laughs> guys, like, I mean, you've scored the goal that you needed after three games. Um, but if we look at the standings, I think that the title right now, they're seven points behind the Chelsea. Their next games are going to be against Leicester, Liverpool. I, I think it's going to be difficult, but I, I think teams should still fear the goal, the Southeastern goal. Go Brighton and Hove Albion. And Rory, just a quick, come on. I'm not going to take that away from you. Just a few words on West Ham Tottenham. Come on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like, there's been so much to talk about. I've not even had a chance to rub it into Spurs. Yeah, you um, have to. Come on. Come on. I love Mikhail Antonio. Um, he's now <laughs> scored in the last three games at the London Stadium against Tottenham Hotspur. He scores against them every time. Um, and West Ham haven't conceded a goal in what feels like forever. Their defense is unbelievable. And I do not know what Nuno is trying to do at Tottenham. I don't know what he's trying to do. In the second half, the front four they had was Son, Kane, Mora, and Ndombele. They were behind and they managed to not have a single shot. So I do not know what he is doing over there. But whatever it is, Nuno, keep it going. Please just keep going. Keep going. Guys, before we move on to Premier uh, to Serie A to Premier A uh, Serie A, <laughs> I've got a little trivia for both Andrew and Rory. In their last eleven games, how many goals have Ajax conceded across all competitions? Uh, two. I'm going to let you go first, Andy. Two. Andy's saying two. I'm going to price of right you and say three. <laughs> And he's right. Two goals oh, conceded oh in their last 11 games, starting oh. starting from their latest, which was yesterday, 5-0 win against PSV. I'm going to go backwards. They beat Borussia Dortmund 4-0. SC Herenven 2-0. They lost to Utrecht 1-0. And before that, 2-0 win, 3-0 win, 5-0 win, 9-0 win, 5-1 Champions League win to Sporting Lisbona. 2-0 win against Zvolle, 5-0 win, and the 1-1 against the 20 in the Netherlands. In my opinion, this year's Champions League is going to be Bayern, Liverpool, and Dark Horse, Ajax. I think that these teams are going to go far. They just I haven't watched much of them, but just by looking at their... And it's not only in the Eredivisie. This is also in the Champions League. They yeah, keep yeah. banging goals. They don't concede any. It's looking great. Rory, where do you want to start in Serie A? Tell me. Should we start with the with the painful one, Tommy? We'll get it out of the way for you. Um, should we start with Delby d'Italia? Sip of my beer and then let me get angry <laughs> real quick. All right, I'm ready. Fuck this shit. All right, Inter Milan have to stop giving away games like that. I am sick of Simone Inzaghi's substitutions between the 60th minute and the 70th minute. Simone, you know football better than I do. You know that there are still 30 slash 20 minutes to play, especially if you're playing against Juventus, who are no mugs, 
they're fucking thieves and annoying people, you know that as soon as you make a substitution, you start from playing Gagliardini. Um, who went out for Gagliardini? Let me check again. Uh, you play Gagliardini instead of Kalyanolu. Kalyanolu had a very good game for the first time in a few games. You replace Gagliardini with him. Then you substitute at the 72nd minute. This is always happens. Lautaro Martinez out, Alexis Sanchez in. <laughs> and you are basically saying, you're basically spreading your butt cheeks for Juventus mm-hmm. to start fucking you in the ass. <laughs> These people, man, I, I'm going to get to Juventus, but first I got to analyze what Inter did. These people are just going to get the message. Okay, they're playing weaker players. We are going to fucking push. You do not take... Our next game is against fucking Udinese. Who are we playing next? Our next game is against Empoli. Are you telling me (laughs) that you are resting Lautaro Martinez for 20 minutes because he needs his energy to play against Empoli? Dude, that's the game that you're going to start Alexis Sanchez in. But don't sub one of our main attacking threats at the 72nd minute. We needed a second goal for the entirety of the game, but it felt like the team, but especially the staff, they were very comfortable with a 1-0 win. Guess what? It's not going to happen against Juventus. Juventus are going to find a way to bite you in the ass. And guess what that way was this time around? Fucking with VAR. Now, this is bullshit. All right. I have to say one thing. If Inter didn't score their second goal, that's only Inter's fault. If Inzaghi made those substitutions, that's only Inzaghi's fault. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, I didn't even dwell on the penalty issue too much. Rory is a witness because I said, if they review that, that is a penalty. It's somebody kicking somebody else in the box. What is it if not a penalty? But now, hear this out. The referee, he can be, you can read his lips when there is the contact. He goes, yes, Dumfries was an idiot. I agree. But you can look at the referee's lips and he goes, no contact. And he lets the play unfold. Then he's called up by VAR to review that. And he gives the penalty because it's a penalty. But wait a second. Last year, when Cuadrado dove, dived, what do you say? Dived? Yeah. Dived. Dived big time against Perisic. That was a dive. The penalty, the referee awarded the penalty. What was the narrative on Italian newspapers? Even if the referee was wrong, VAR cannot fucking intervene because the referee has already taken a decision. But this time around, the narrative is different. So I am, okay, I am glad. I'm even glad that they awarded the penalty because we would have won a game that we didn't deserve to win. But what is the fucking rule about VAR? And why, since I follow football, all of these decisions always go to Juventus's favor. Last night, I didn't even realize it. But today, I start reading in the newspapers. I start putting things together and I'm fucking fuming. About the team itself, Inter, well, Juventus are a shame, in my opinion. They are supposed to be Italy's greatest team, Mm -hmm. and their manager, Allegri, said it was a great game, a great result. We are going to keep nibbling points away throughout the season. Are you Juventus or are you fucking Empoli? Like, I'm going to be nibbling points from other teams the entire season. That's my bid on interview. But Tommy, I'm not going to go back a, to that one. But Tommy, this is a club, and like this is finally the anger about Juventus I wanted to see because they're awful. But like, the, this is a team and a club and an atmosphere. Everything about it, the culture about it, is just about getting just a points, nothing else, no decoration, no like, no nuance. It's just did we get points? Yes or no? Did we get points? Yes or no? And it is they are the. Whoops, least like they just suck the life out of you and they'll suck the life out of the league and they'll suck the life out of the teams they're playing against. And I think, look, Inter really do need to learn to finish their chances. True. Um, 100%. Dumfries, Dumfries was useless when he came on. He was just running around, barreling into people and like no discipline whatsoever. And I think sometimes he gets a bit too hot headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it a few times where he's just flying into people and like, mate, calm down. Right, yes, it's an important game, but fucking stay on the pitch. And I feel like he, he was, from the minute he came on, I was like, he's going to do something stupid. So I think 
Yeah, it was unfortunate, but in Zaggy's substitutions, you're right again. It just seemed like he was waving the white flag and going, "Right, here we go. Like, here's your here's your chance." It was. Did, it was did you strange. have a chance to watch parts of I, the game? I did. I did. I did watch a full game. I caught some of the highlights. I mean, I thought the um, effort for Chanelogu was absolutely filthy. Uh, mm. But you know, we've seen him over the years. We know he can hit him from range. Um, that deserved the goal in itself. And I think Jekko has been a, an able replacement for Lukaku. I mean, of course, it was six, necessary. Six goals in eight home yeah. games. I think it was uh, necessary business to sell Lukaku and get Jekko to what I mounted on a f- very literally transfer. He came yeah. with a free, didn't he? Uh, more or less. Uh, God, his wages probably big. So he's done that. Yeah. But yeah, I thought I've seen, you know, I've seen those decisions in the Premier League go either way, but I've seen enough Italian football to know that referees don't need much encouragement to give a decision Juve's way. It was mm. it was soft, uh, but it was also stupid. And I think both of those things can be true. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, Perisic had a really good chance one-on-one where maybe the, Perisic, maybe the Perisic three, four years ago would have buried that in the corner. Uh, where we had that chance, we you know, alone on goal, cut in. You'd expect him to get in on target, um, but yeah, I think settling for one nil against the Juve team, you know, they are relentless. They just keep pushing. And this isn't a vintage Juve side, really, is it? Um, no, and it really, really the, isn't. I loved how in the first, I, I showed you the meme yesterday, Rory. So in the first half, uh, um, Federico Bernardeschi gets injured. <laughs> Allegri can replace him with the most attacking players of all time. You've got the Chiesas, you've got all the other ones, and he goes for Rodrigo Bentancur. This is what Juventus are this year. But I, I, I would say that it pisses me off what Allegri said, but it's very honest. We're just like, our goal this year is nibbling points away from other teams. That's Juventus for you. And they'll win it, man. They'll win it. And we'll all have to just sit and fucking watch it. (laughs) Like, it's just, I hate them. I hate them so much. Let me move on to another game which we didn't really pay attention to, but upon seeing the highlights, was pretty spectacular. Mm. Rome against Napoli. Roma are the first team able to stop Napoli from getting a win. Uh, the game ends goalless. However, there were chances on both sides. Roma's defenders really came through in uh, Mourinho style when they needed to slide in, um, get that ball out from the goal. They did so. Napoli went very close to the goal a few times, but unfortunately, nobody was able to break the deadlock. Not even Tammy Abraham, who had a very, very good chance. But I think he just needs a goal because recently he hasn't been getting any. He just needs a goal to find his confidence. But I have to say one thing about Roma. Despite uh, uh, that loss in the Europa League, which we haven't covered yet, and it was absolutely <laughs> nuts. Besides that loss uh, in the Europa League, that was kind of a B squad and everything. Well, we need not to mention really, it. And, not Andrew, really. Not Andrew really. is laughing big time. Andrew, what do you think about that loss in the Europa League? Oh man, I just thought it was hilarious. Like that's, a, <laughs> but it, it's a point worth raising, though. Like. And I see it a lot with English sides in Europe, especially like, you know, basic bitch Europe, as I like to call it, the Europa League, um, or basic, basic bitch Europe, as the Europa Conference League is. Like, when, you're, when, when your manager, you know, you could tell whether your manager cares about a competition or not. And when your manager is picking virtual reserve sides and not really caring about the result and things like that, if these onto the players in the pitch... Like and that's that's why you get performances like that because on ability alone we should be losing six 0 to Bodo Glimpse. Like you know, they, they just shouldn't. But there's I think sometimes there's this culture of it's okay. Like yeah, fine they've been beaten six 0 but is that going to really massively impact their season? Probably, I, probably look, not. I think I think Mourinho is even a bit more evil than that. He kind of wanted to, like, yeah. I think he was satisfied to lose this game six one, so he could just lag off the players who were on the pitch, like Villar, Gonzalo Villar. I know this very well because I got him in fantasy football. Rory, we're gonna get to fantasy football. Don't worry, don't worry. But I got him in fantasy football, but he just lagged him off completely, and I think he wanted him to have a shit performance in fucking. <laughs> Five degrees below weather, just to tell him that's the reason why you don't you don't start for Roma. But that said, I think that Roma put up a good game against Napoli, and they are matter of fact the only team 
able to not get scored against by Napoli and to prevent them from getting a win. Who So Napoli right now are first in the league together with AC Milan on even points. They've got a higher goal difference. But, ladies and gentlemen, I do not think that AC Milan are title contenders. Just like last season, our friend Michael said, at some point, they're going to be found out. They were... I think something is going to happen because everything is going their way. And if it's not the penalties, it's the red cards for the other team, which were rightfully awarded Mm -hmm. in the Bologna game. But even then, man, they struggled to score the 3-2. They struggled to score the 4-2. In the end, they win the game. But there is always, it feels like, a favorable decision. And when there isn't... I don't know. The opposition player just does something stupid in the box. They're awarded a penalty and they win. AC Milan have been winning games, in my opinion, that they shouldn't have won. I'm not talking specifically about the Bologna one, but I don't see them going in the long run. They've been found out in the Champions League already. I think Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time before they get found out in the Italian league. And the injuries can be an excuse up to a point. But I don't think when I look at Napoli and when I look at AC Milan... I don't think that they've got the same way of playing. They've got the same mindset. They've got the same drive. I think Napoli are by far the best Italian team, followed by AC Milan and in third place, Inter Milan. But I don't think that AC Milan are going to be pushing much, much longer. You're hoping. You're hoping. I'm I'm not convinced by that. I think that a lot of their players seem to be stepping up a little bit. Players like Tonali, Tomori, these players seem to be getting Say the name, Rory, of the player you hate. Rafael Leal. Oh, Leal. Leal is actually fairly consistently doing things now, so maybe I have to like eat a bit Look, of humble Leal pie. could I score. I think a few of the a... young players are starting to like a little bit get a little bit of like. Leal could like, score a hat trick in three minutes, and Rory would still text me like, "Dude, I don't know." <laughs> Leal, not convinced, and I'm like, "Rory, trust me, it's not either Messi or Bentner. There is like a way in between, you know." Like, and also <laughs> I'm still not convinced. I'm still not convinced. There's something about him where I'm like, "You're, you're fluking this." I'm not sure how you're, how you're playing for AC. But anyway, I suppose it shows uh, persistence, though, doesn't it? Because like the hour is always quite inconsistent for AC Milan, and also Tonali as well. He went, mm-hmm. you know, he went to AC Milan with a big, big reputation um, from his time at Brescia, and I think sometimes everyone expects players to fit in seamlessly from day one mm. in reality that doesn't always happen uh but you're seeing him now like getting getting lots of starts lots of game time fitting into the squad really well and i think you know ac milan are sort of beneficiaries of that you know and that is partly due to getting the most out of your squad um but they have got some tough games coming up though haven't they like obviously you've got They've got you know Roma um, in a few days' time. They've got to you know obviously to yeah. They've got in a row. I was just checking right now. They've got Roma, Porto, AC Milan. uh, Sorry, Inter Milan and Fiorentina, and then Sassuolo. Oh, they've got Atletico Madrid away in the Champions League as well. In between all of that, Uh, that that I think that group of fixtures is when you go right. Mm. Now we'll see whether they're really contenders or not. Because uh, yeah. I guess you get at the moment, you can argue the beat of the teams they're supposed to be beating, yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. the exception, you know, with the exception of the Atalanta match of the Lazio game, they've played. Yeah, they've they've probably got the before they've got the results they should be getting. So we'll see. And, and before we get to Rory's success in Fanta Calcio, wait a second, we're almost there, Rory. We're gonna end the episode with. I'm that. ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Guys, go check out Simeone's. Hattrick plus one. Simeone is a hole, as Rory told me yesterday. Yeah. Four oh. goals against that... Lazio, and they are nice. The second oh. one, especially, woo, half that volley. Half, that half volley was absolutely disgusting. Boom. Um... It's beautiful. Lazio need to ask themselves a few questions. Why can they beat Roma and Inter, but they fall short by three goals against Bologna and Verona? The Sarri way is not working quite yet. A very disappointing team so far in Serie A, in my opinion, has been Atalanta. Atalanta were winning the game 1-0 against Udinese. Gasperini made some funny changes and the fans, the Atalanta fans, seem to be really mad both at him and Miranchuk. The Russian has not been playing well. Matter of fact, when he 
uh, stepped on the pitch against Manchester United. That's when things started going south. Muriel is still not top of his shape. And both of them in the game against Udinese, they underperformed. And at the end, Udinese were able to score because of a situation that started from a Miranchuk mistake. While another very ga- uh, very good game full of great goals, Fiorentina, Cagliari 3-0. Now the headline goes to the fact that Vlaovic, upon refusing to sign a contract extension, he was booed by a section of the Fiorentina fans before the game and during the game. When a penalty was awarded to Fiorentina, he talked to the team captain, Cristiano Biraghi, and said, I don't feel like taking the penalty. And man, let's talk about Biraghi for a second, because Biraghi was not supposed to take the penalty. But when Vlaovic told him, he puts the ball down and he absolutely (laughs) slams it in. If this wasn't enough in the second half... Fiorentina are awarded a penalty kick right outside the edge of the box and Vlaovic. In Italian, we say he paint brushes it into the top corner. Pennellata sotto l'incrocio. It was absolutely beautiful. And I love to see that despite the, the Fiorentina fans can be very tough to handle. But I love to see that he had a safe place where he could celebrate, which was the bench, the manager, Mm -hmm. and all of his teammates. And he really went there. And let's not forget that he's a young guy. He's like 20 or 21 years old. Uh, We've almost seen him in tears already when people were singing those racist chants to him. And here, there was a moment with uh, Vincenzo Italiano, the manager, where they really hugged. He whispered him something in the ears. And I was like, man, if I were a footballer, I would love to have a manager like that that, like, gets, like... It backs me up in those mm-hmm. moments. And uh, finally, what else? Empoli uh, Salernitana was absolute madness. Empoli oh, Salernitana was beautiful, especially oh, for the that fact... Game. Yeah, Salerni- Empoli oh, Salernitana was beautiful because uh, Empoli uh, were winning 3-0 at the end of the first half. Then they were awarded a penalty. And Andrea Pinamonti, interplayer on loan at Palermo, he decides to... To, to take the, the penalty as he wishes with a Panenka kick and uh, he scores it and the Salernitana uh, goalkeeper he started chasing Went him after him, did he? <laughs> yeah, he like tried to get him and then the like Empoli players shielded Pinamonti and even the Salernitana players were just like dude, just fucking leave him alone and I'm like dude, it's a way of taking a penalty like any other and it's the important is that you score and I mean if I was a forward I would love to score a Panenka, a Panenka penalty at least once in my lifetime. Th- but yeah, go for it. I was going to say, I think there has to be a Roy Chesney award for shit goalkeeping. Uh, it was the, um, if you saw the Lazio goal, uh, the keeper Montepo. Oh my God. That was oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Such well, a like, good piece yeah, of it, man. It was just like, but straight for him. <laughs> it's just dreadful goalkeeping. That's the only reason why Lazio got on the score sheet. The cross, yeah, crossbar and... Oh, yeah, but yeah, I'm calling it the Roy Chesney um, Goalkeeping Awards. <laughs> but guys, before we talk very briefly about Rory being the first in Fanta Calcio, I remind you that this week we've got midweek action in Serie A. Tomorrow there are a few relegation battles as Spezia take on Genoa and Venezia take on Salernitana. Both games at 6.30 on Tuesday and at night we've got AC Milan against Turin. On Wednesday, it's Juventus Sassuolo, Sampdoria Atalanta, Udinese Verona, Cagliari Roma, Empoli Inter, and the big one is probably going to be Lazio Fiorentina. While on Thursday, the current table leaders Napoli take on Bologna, a team whom have made it hard for all the other big teams they faced. And now, Rory, the closing few minutes are dedicated to you for the first time in three years. Leading the standings in Italian Fanta Calcio, you won by one miserable point this weekend. <laughs> How did it feel to wake up this morning and see that you were top of the table? I thought it was going to be a draw, and then I, I was literally in the middle of my class today, and I was like, oh, crap, I best check my fantasy. Looked at it and was like, yes, yes, I won, two one, two one. So, yeah, top of the table, um, Grealish better than Chiesa FC are currently <laughs> top of the table and how many, points, how many points did you get 
So it's worked out, Tom. You'll have to explain how it's worked out. I got 71 points and they got 70, but that equaled a 2-1 win somehow. No, so basically you get with with 66 points, you get one goal, with seven, and then every six points you get another goal. So 72, 78. Rory okay. won 72 to 71, which means a 2-1 win. But I would be lying if I said that I've never won that way. But Rory, what is going to happen midweek? Well, the biggest fixture midweek is me and Tommy finally face off in fantasy to see if I can hold on to the top spot. So I'm hoping that Osimhen doesn't score again and Chiesa finally scores. It feels like he's not scored in a while. I'm waiting for him to do something. Of course, he's going to score against me. But guys, (laughs) we've run over time. We hope you enjoyed the show. Andrew, any last uh, thing, anything else to tell our listeners? Um, No. Maybe to follow your podcast, you can give all the all the ads that you want. Oh yeah, I've got a hopeless boss man on the YouTube comments. Have a nice. So, <clears throat> yeah, follow the hope, follow the hopeless wonderment podcast. We're awesome. There we go. There's that ticked. <laughs> yeah. They're good. They're good. Check them Very out. Good. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and also to follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. Rory, anything else to say? No, just uh, Forza Chiesa. No, Grealish Melio da Chiesa. That's it. <laughs> Guys, we will let you know how the match day between me and Rory goes. We're going to talk to you again on Friday for another episode of the Anglo Italian Pod. Thanks to Chris, Steve, and old boys from the Hopeless Wanderer podcast for joining us today. This is it. Talk to you on Friday. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>